Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles and open up to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, as we prepare to hear from Travis Simone as he kicks off our Advent series titled The Restored Kingdom by looking at the genealogy of Jesus. I recently came across an article. It said, for some, Christmas cookies are the best part of the holidays. And it went on to have all kinds of pictures of different Christmas cookies and different Christmas recipes. And I thought, is this what we're going through? All of the decoration, all of the expenditure, all of the emotional time invested just to get some Christmas cookies? Now, I like a Christmas cookie as much as the next guy. I'm an Italian. I live for Christmas cookies. But if Christmas cookies are the best part of the holidays, something might be missing. You see, the genealogy of Jesus reveals something much greater, much grander than a season leading up to some really good cookies. The genealogy of Jesus reveals God's invasion for restoration. I was enthralled last week as Rich was preaching. Literally, he just, he had me. He had me just set right in his sights. I was enthralled as he described the man from the movie The Great Escape, the man in the prison cell, locked up in the cooler with nothing but a baseball and a glove to pass the time. And the man sat in the cooler, Rich told us. He, he plotted his escape only to be caught again by the German guards and to be locked back up in the cooler with the baseball and the glove trying to plan another escape. See, we've been studying the restoration period. It's a time in scripture when God's people return from exile to restore God's community. And instead, they regress to the very behavior that led to the exile in the first place. Locked in a prison of their own idolatry and disobedience. And what struck me about learning about this restoration period is that God's people give it the best attempt at self-restoration I've ever seen. You can't say they didn't try. They relayed the, the foundation of the temple. They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and, and reconstructed the temple. They relieved debts. They read from the law. And then they made their commitment in the strongest possible terms. Unequivocally, they stated, we obligate ourselves. There's no wiggle room in that. We obligate ourselves. 
And yet, they end up right back where they started. I was enthralled with Rich's illustration and the way he told that story because the image resonated so deeply with the human experience. It's the wife who promises to never criticize her husband publicly again, only at the next dinner party to say something negative about him at the table. It's the husband who who promises to be emotionally available to his wife only to get home from work and withdrawal to his telephone. It's the retiree who's never missed a bill their entire life, never had to skip a meal for lack of money, worrying if they have enough to live on. It's the student who gets all A's, still wondering, am I smart enough? It's the athlete who's won the championship, saying, could I do it again? It's me every Tuesday when I come into the office and think, I think I said everything I know about the Bible last week. That's it. I'm done. I'll never have another thing to say. They'll finally find out what a fraud I am. Every Tuesday, that happens to me. And so what's the next step? How do we get out of the cell? How do we stop the cycles of sin, as Rich said last week? And with our candle of hope lit, maybe we could ask the question, is there any hope? Matthew chapter one, verse one. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, the genealogy of Jesus reveals God's invasion for restoration. It's an invasion of new creation. The book of the genealogy, when Matthew writes the book of the genealogy, this would just lift off of the page for his first readers because it is a direct quote from the book of Genesis, where we read the book of genealogy in the Greek language in which Matthew is writing. He writes, Biblos Geneseos. You can even catch the flavor in English. Biblos Geneseos. It literally means the book of Genesis It's a direct quote from Genesis chapter two, verse four. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. That phrase, these are the generations in the Hebrew is literally the book of Genesis. Genesis can mean generations, beginning, genealogy. 
And in what follows, God forms the first man from dust. In a moment of great intimacy, pointing to the relationship the creator longs to have with his creation, God breathes into the man's nostrils. He breathes into the man's nostrils the breath of life. And as a result of man attempting to live on his own terms, this picture of connection is replaced with a picture of disconnection as God drives the man out of the garden. You see, at creation, there was connection. The kingdom of our own making yielded disconnection and exile until the invasion of new creation in Jesus Christ. We read these words in John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, notice what he does. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, in the beginning, God created and he breathes the breath of life into the man. In Jesus Christ, God recreates as he breathes the Holy Spirit onto his disciples. The genealogy of Jesus reveals God's invasion for restoration, and it's an invasion of new creation. It's not just an invasion of new creation, it's the invasion of a new king. Matthew chapter one, verse one. By the way, I I should have mentioned this to Amanda who worked hard on all those names. We're only gonna be in verse one today. The rest will come next week if I have anything left to say. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Let's note three things about David in this genealogy. First, it should intrigue us that David is mentioned before Abraham, when Abraham lived about a thousand years before David. Yet somehow, David is mentioned first before Abraham. Second thing to note about David in the genealogy, he's mentioned more than any other person on the list. David's actually mentioned five times in the genealogy. Once in verse one, twice in verse six, twice again in verse 17. Third, it is stated plainly in verse six that David is the king. There are plenty of kings listed in this genealogy and there is only one of whom Matthew makes sure to note, David the king. You see, Matthew is painting the picture that as important as David's reign is and was to the history of God's people, a new king is invading. A new king is invading to restore what David could never accomplish. 
See, God's people were not supposed to have a king. God's design was that God would be king over his people. You learn this in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. God's only instruction to Samuel was that Samuel would warn the people about the ways of the king, how this king would rule over them. You can read God's warning to his people through Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 10. Let me just read God's warning about these kings that would come. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants. And he will take the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. All of this came true as early as David's son, Solomon, who conscripted armies, exacted great taxes on God's people to the point where the nation of Israel split into two. And God did not answer their cries in that day. You see a succession of of kings more and more wicked leading up to the exile where the reading left off. All of these kings, king after king after king, could not rescue God's people from the deportation to Babylon. But God does answer the cries of his people. He answers the cries of his people under the weight of these selfish and evil and idolatrous kings. He answers their cries in his invasion in and as Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the anointed king. Jesus was the king who said the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was the king who said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Jesus was the king who said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And in the most shocking display of Jesus's kingship, we read these words while Jesus is on the cross. So also the priests, chief priests, with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying he saved others, he cannot save himself. And notice what they say. Notice what Matthew records on the lips of the chief priests, the scribes, the elders. He is the king of Israel. He's the king. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. You see, they did not have a category for this kind of kingship. See, the kings of Israel took life. King Jesus gave his life. The genealogy of Jesus reveals God's invasion of restoration. It's the invasion of a new king. And it's the institution of a new covenant. Matthew chapter one, verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, God made a covenant with Abraham to give him a land, to give him a son, to give him a blessing. And God also gave him a, a strange promise. The promise was that all the nations or all the peoples of the world will be blessed through Abraham. The sign of the covenant was circumcision. And I always imagine the moment that God announces to Abraham and the sign, because I think Abraham's probably pretty excited. Oh, I'm gonna get a son. I'm gonna get land. I'm gonna get a blessing. I, I, I'm, through me, all the nations of the world will be blessed. All right, what, what's the sign? And God says, circumcision. I imagine Abraham saying, couldn't it be like a secret handshake, God? I imagine Abraham saying, I mean, could we have some, some cool like rings? You know, we could share some, some secret Dakota rings together, God. God says the sign of this covenant will be circumcision. And there's a twofold symbolism to the sign of this, of this covenant. First, it's that Abraham is to offer the most intimate part of his body back to God. That there is nothing that we hold back from God. There is nothing private. You give the most private part of your body back to the Lord. It's all his. Second, it's a symbol of what happens when you break the covenant. That something gets cut off. That you will be cut off from the presence of the Lord. As Adam and Eve were cut off from the presence of the Lord in the garden. As God's people at the exile were cut off from the presence of the Lord in the Holy of Holies at the temple. 
It's everything belongs to God. Nothing too private that you get to keep for yourself. And the penalty for breaking the covenant is something must be cut off. Remember the end of the restoration period that Rich spoke on last year. Rich highlighted the idea that Nehemiah is the last of the historical books in the Bible. And he just says, God, it's not going well for us. Remember me. That's all I can say. Just just remember me, God. The last of the of the prophets, Malachi, just says, God, you better show up. Here's how Matthew, excuse me, here's how Malachi ends. God, you better show up or the land will be struck with a decree of utter destruction. Translation, it feels like we've been cut off, God. We failed to offer our whole selves to you and we've been cut off. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez by Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, all the way down to Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. From Abraham, Matthew moves us all the way to Jesus. From the covenant that could not be fulfilled by God's people, from the covenant that led to God's people being cut off from God's presence, we get these words from Jesus in Matthew 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. My blood of the covenant, my blood, Jesus says, of the covenant, Jesus Christ, the Son of Abraham. See, on the cross, it's Jesus who was cut that we might be healed. It's Jesus who was cut off as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we might be brought near. It's Jesus who had the most intimate parts of his body exposed in nakedness on the cross so that we might be covered It's Jesus who was pierced that we might be restored. You see, in fulfilling the old covenant with Abraham, 
Jesus is then able to create a new covenant in his blood available to all who believe. See, the genealogy of Jesus reveals God's invasion of restoration. And it's the institution of a new covenant paid for and covered in Jesus' blood. See, there's one other place in the Bible which matches Matthew's opening words for his gospel. We, we told, I said earlier that Matthew wants us to see this book of Genesis connection. And Matthew is quoting directly as we saw from Genesis chapter two, verse four. And it's the same quote from Genesis chapter five, verse one. This is the book of the generations of Adam. The book of the genealogy of Adam. The book of the Genesis of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man, which is the Hebrew word Adam, from which we get Adam, and named them man when they were created. Why is this important? Why am I bringing you back to Genesis again? Why is Matthew intentionally drawing us, our attention back to Genesis again? See, Jesus' story is connected to a very old story. It's the story of every man, woman, and child It's the story of humanity. Matthew wants us to see this is the story of you. The genealogy of Jesus reveals God's invasion of new creation, a new king, the institution of a new covenant. But it also reveals God's attempt to invade your heart, to invade your life, to invade your actions. See, every sermon has an application. What do we do with the genealogy of Jesus? This one is a bit more difficult. It's not a narrative story from which you can pull a principle. It's not like a a Pauline statement of if-then truth. So what's the application? Well, I'll just start with a question. Do you want cookies to be the best part of your Christmas? Is that what this season is all about? Do you want the greatest light in your life to be the light on top of your Christmas tree? Do you want the light to light up your world to be grand illumination, as great as that is. Is that what this is all about? I'll just say, whatever cell you're stuck in, maybe stop throwing the ball against the wall to distract yourself. And sit for just a moment 
Just sit quietly for a moment in one place. Stay still and see if God's invasion of restoration in and as Jesus Christ breaks in to your cell. He broke through at the first Christmas. And I'm confident in his power to break through today. I'm confident enough to let the application of this sermon be. Let's sit still and let's wait for him to break through today. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and his community. Have a blessed day. Thank you.